Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone, and I will greet you again in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today I'm in the studio all by myself, so pray for me. And I wasn't able to secure anyone to come in, and it's always good to have feedback as you're teaching questions, comments about what is being taught. But today I just have four walls here. So I'm going to do my best, believing God that this message is going to go forth and people are going to be listening to this podcast and the Word of God never returns void. It always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. By faith, I believe someone's going to be ministered to today. We're headed to the second chapter today of 1 Thessalonians. Remember, this was written by Paul to the believers at Thessalonica on the second missionary journey. We believe he's at Corinth at this time, that's Acts chapter 18, riding back to the believers at Thessalonica. He was only there for about three weeks, and a community of faith developed there in Thessalonica. A lot of opposition, a lot of persecution. They went from Thessalonica to Berea. The Bereans heard and believed, but they checked daily the scriptures to make sure what Paul and Silas was saying was true. That's something that the Thessalonians did not do. That's going to have a bearing on the way that we look at the church there in Thessalonica when we get to the second letter, because the second letter, they believed a message that came about the end times that was not from God. It did not come from Paul. Maybe it came with a prophecy or a message or someone saying a letter was written by Paul that the Messiah has already come back. And so we will deal with that in the second letter. But in the first letter, he is really admonishing them. He is building them up and encouraging them because they are continuing in the faith. We see this in chapter 1. And now we're going to flow into chapter 2, a continuation of their faith and the joy that they have in their faith. But in this chapter, Paul's really going to talk about their ministry, reminding them of their ministry to them in Thessalonica. And he did this also in Galatia. The next two letters that we're going to be looking at is in Corinth. He does that in Corinth as well, reminding them how they came to them and preached and taught. It's a consistent theme through Paul's writings. He's reminding them of how they came to Christ and how they developed initially in the faith. And as others come in and try to bring a different gospel, Galatians, And here in Thessalonica, maybe just to encourage their faith in this first letter, but it's a constant reminder what God did in the past. It is the same teaching and the same God and the same gospel all the way through. So in chapter 2, it's going to remind them about their ministry in Thessalonica. Verse 1, For you always know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, Philippi, that is in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17 is his ministry in Thessalonica. 
As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So their boldness did not come from any physical strength that they had within themselves or a strong personality. Their boldness was in God. These men understood, Paul and Silas and Timothy understood that what they're doing and what they're preaching and teaching comes from God. So their boldness is in God. And there was much opposition. In fact, in Thessalonica, they were only able to stay there for three Shabbats, three Sabbaths, because the opposition was so strong. Verse 3, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God, again, their authority comes from God, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Everything in all of Pauline writings that you look at these letters that he's writing to believers, he understands his authority comes from God, and he's not trying to please men, but he's trying to please God. God has given him the authority. God has given him the gospel. And now he's teaching the word of God, and he's not trying to seek the approval of men, but of God. Now, this is easy to talk about and to teach and to proclaim, but it's very difficult when we look into our own lives and to think, are we preaching and teaching and sharing for the approval of an organization or a church or the approval of our own countrymen? And are we trying to bring a message that's not offensive to this point or to that point? If you're doing that, you're trying to please men. You're not trying to please God. It's one of the most powerful understandings when you look at what is happening within the Western culture today. So much of our teaching and preaching and our systematic theology is being developed with this mindset, I do not want to offend, I want to be tactful, and I do not want to be a hater, and I do not want to be a judger, and I do not want to bring negativity into a person's life. That goes against everything within God's Word. God's Word is not tactful. God's Word is not trying to come about where you don't offend anybody. The Word of God is confrontational. Later on, Paul's last letter, he says to Timothy, preach the Word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Today, we're just trying to exhort, and we're not trying to see the Word of God, allow the Word of God to speak for itself where it reproves and it rebukes. Think about God speaking to Jeremiah the prophet. You will break down and you will build up. As you speak my words, I will give you the words that you are to speak, and you will break down and you will build up. That's what God's Word does. That's what the gospel does. The gospel brings a person to a point of decision within their lives. The Word of God brings a person to a point that the Spirit of God, honoring the Word of God, the conviction of God's Spirit is there, and we have to make a decision. Are we going to live a life pleasing to God, or are we going to do whatever we want to do? And Paul's ministry, and Silas's ministry, and Timothy's ministry, he's representing all three of them here. He's not wanting to please men, but he's wanting to please God. And I just want to advocate that 
to every one of us, our whole life, everything that we do, let's do it for the glory of God and not think about what men, how they're digesting this and what is going to be the consequences of the messages that we are speaking. If it honors God, it's the right message. Verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech. He's going to say the same thing when he's in Corinth, when he writes back to the Corinthians. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about developing a philosophy that people would fall under their philosophical teachings. They did not come with flattery speech, and it wasn't for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of the Messiah, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Now, this is very important. That's clear within Scripture, but at the same time, within systematic theologies that have developed today, We have these teachings that the apostles died out, and there was only the 12, and after the 12 died out, miracles ceased, and things concerning the supernatural and the spiritual gifts and things of this nature died out with the apostles when the 12 died out. But something interesting here, you see the apostles of Christ, he's referring to themselves, Paul, Silas, Timothy plural, apostles of the Messiah. He understood their ministry as apostolic ministry. Now, when you're going to look at the book of Romans, when we get to the end of that letter that he writes to the believers at Rome, he aspired not to build upon another man's foundation. And I believe that Paul understands apostleship of God's calling to lay a foundation where there is no foundation. And he understands their ministry as apostolic ministry, and you see that all through his writings. And he understands that they are apostles of the Messiah, and they could have assorted their authority. But verse 7, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you We were well pleased to impart to you not only the good news of God, the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become very dear to us. It wasn't just the good news in teaching and proclamation. It was the good news coming through their own lives, and they looked at these believers as children, just as as we have young children that have come into our life, how we want not to be harsh with them but we want to be gentle with them, nourishing them, and building them up because they're just babies in Christ. And so you see this imagery coming forth that these are their children, that they have come to faith by their ministry and their spiritual babies, and they're nurturing them slowly in the things of God. And they are very, very dear to them. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed or we preached, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. When you see in verse 9, they worked to support themselves and they worked night and day. 
and they didn't want to be a burden upon any in Thessalonica. And I think he's talking about a physical burden where they were taking from them wages or taxing them in the sense of you must take care of all of our needs. Most of Paul's ministry, or I should say a lot of his ministry, he was a tent maker and he was able to support himself. And by doing that, it limited the accusations against him of why he is doing this. Is he trying to reap a financial reward? Most of his ministry, he worked with his own hands to support himself so that he could preach and teach and proclaim the gospel. It is such a beautiful thing that we need to understand today. When you look at the televangelists today. It almost seems like all of them, half of their message is about getting funds for the people that they're preaching to. Here we see in Paul's ministry, he's very careful with that, even though he understands in later writings that a worker, a laborer is worthy of his wages. There are many times he refused to even take money from them so that there would not be an accusation against the good news. So in verse 9 again, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. They lived a life of the gospel. It was not just words that they were speaking, but it was a life that was lived before them. And the greatest testimony is a life that is lived for God in front of the people. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that we would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Everything that they're doing among the Thessalonians is for the understanding that we might walk in a manner worthy of God. And we're looking at what it meant, but I'm going to stop for a moment of what it means for us today. It's very clear here. What he is saying to them, that everything that they are doing in their ministry and their hardship and their labor among the Thessalonians, and they were only there for three weeks, around three weeks, ministering, went through a lot of opposition, but believers came forth primarily from the Gentile background, Gentiles that were coming to faith, believers from a Gentile background. They are doing it in a manner worthy of God. Every aspect of what they proclaim, what they teach, how they live their lives, how they're working with their own hands, it is all for God's glory in a manner worthy of the Lord. It is His kingdom. It is all for His glory. Verse 13, For this reason we also constantly thank God when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So you remember as we read Acts chapter 17, the first part of it, they received it. They believed it from the very beginning as they believed that this was the word of God. Even though they did not check the scriptures like the Bereans did, they believed it and they applied it to their lives and the word of God kept working within them. Now, as we look at this, And we see it contextually as we go through chapters 1 and 2. The majority of these believers 
were coming from a Gentile background. However, when you look back into Acts chapter 17, you see that some of the Jews did believe, and where they are sharing the gospel first is in the synagogue. They believed it, some Jews. And then we look at other individuals, God-fearing Greeks, which I believe was Gentiles, and then also prominent women that we have talked about before. However, when we look at it, they didn't really check the scriptures to see what Paul and Silas and what they are saying, if it's true or not. In Berea, the Jews did that, showing a different mentality, a different background, probably more respect for the Word of God in Berea than they had in Thessalonica. However, the Word that they preached to them, they understood it as truth, and it was living inside of them, and it was growing, and their faith was becoming strong, and their faith was evident to other believers and other parts of the world. Now, let's go on to verse 14. It says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So what God was doing among the Jewish people in Judea, now we're speaking to predominantly Gentiles here in Thessalonica, even though there were some Jews that came to faith. He is saying that you are imitating the faith that we find among the Jews in Judea that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So he's making a comparison here. These Gentile believers are being persecuted from the Gentile world because they are no longer embracing idols. They're getting rid of the idols and they're embracing the one true and living God and they're coming to him through the Messiah, the Christ. The Jews in Judea and the Jews back in Jerusalem as they believed and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were being persecuted by other Jews in the same way that the Thessalonians are being persecuted by their own countrymen. Now he's going to continue in verse 15, and some of this is probably a reflection back upon his own life, because remember, for many years, Shaul, who became Paul, or understood in the Greek-speaking world as Paul, he persecuted the Jewish believers. Verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing unto God, but hostile to all men. Here he's going back and looking at how his own countrymen, how they had rejected the prophets from the past. And by rejecting the prophets, now they have rejected the Messiah, the one that the prophets prophesied about, and they have driven us out. He's looking back how the Jews that did not accept him as a nation, they did not accept him. And this was part of the whole plan of God. If you look back within the prophecies within the old covenant, think with me for a moment. Psalm 118, the last song that they sing every year at Passover from Psalm 113 through 118, the ending of that song of praise unto God. The stone which the builders have rejected have become the chief cornerstone. If you do not have the chief cornerstone, the Rosh Pina, then everything falls apart. So by rejecting the stone, the essential stone, by rejecting him, the builders rejected him. This has become the chief cornerstone. 
Then it says, this is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. In this psalm, the psalmist is speaking about a day in which the builders reject the stone, which has become the chief cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. This is marvelous in our eyes. I believe that's speaking of all of heaven, looking at what is taking place. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad in it. When we sing that song, this is the day that the Lord has made, it's not talking about today, but it's talking about the day that the builders rejected the stone which has become the chief cornerstone. This is talking about God's salvation, his redemption to Israel and from Israel to the ends of the earth. Now the Jews as a nation, they cried out, crucify him. And now that rejection of him, just like it was the rejection of the prophets, now they are rejecting those that have received him and put their faith in him, Jews that believe with all of their heart that he is the Messiah, the forgiveness of sins, the fulfillment of Scripture. They're persecuting them, going after them, and Shaul was one of them. He was going after them with a zeal and a passion, thinking that he was doing the will of God, but actually he was fighting against God and fighting against the Messiah. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, Shaul would have never come to this saving knowledge. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Yeshua. He is the only way for eternal salvation to God. So these are hard words that he is using here. But please remember, I would advise you to go and read Romans chapter 9. Because in Romans chapter 9, again, nine years later, he's going to write this letter. Or no, from this time, it is only six to seven years later, he's going to write Romans. His love for his own countrymen, the Israel according to the flesh, is so passionate Their persecution against him, their persecution in rejecting the Messiah, now persecuting those that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. He loves them so much. It's not building up animosity towards them in the sense that he blames them or anything for what is happening. In fact, in his theology, by their rejection, life has come to the world. But if you look at the beginning of Romans chapter 9, he loves them so much, if it was possible, he would be willing to give up his own salvation that the Israel according to the flesh could come to know their Messiah and know the forgiveness of sins. Never read a verse like this and let it lead to any type of bad feelings or bitterness towards the Jewish people that rejected the Messiah. By their rejection, life has come to the world. And it's our responsibility to go back to them and love them and bring the good news back to them who brought it to us. Verse 16, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. This was a hindrance that was taking place as the Jews who rejected Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, now they're trying to keep them from speaking to the Gentiles. That's what happened in Thessalonica. That's what happened in Berea. In fact, the Jews followed them to Berea to stop the preaching of the good news with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. 
as people try to stop the preaching of the gospel, and we see this within certain elements of the Jewish community, but we are also seeing it among the Gentile community as from their own countrymen that they're coming against them to Gentiles coming to the faith. It's building up sin upon sin upon sin, and wrath has come upon them to the utmost. And so as you fight against the plan of God and God's salvation for the world, you will be fighting against God and you will be building sin upon sin. And this sin of rejecting the Messiah is now leading to sin that is rejecting the people that believe in him, persecuting him, and now trying to prevent them from sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in heart or not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. At the end of this chapter here, he is saying that we were only there with you for a short time. We were taken away. We wanted to come back to you. We were not face to face, but we're still with you from our heart and in the spirit. And there's a desire to come back and see the believers in Thessalonica, to minister to them again. But Satan hindered us, Paul writes, that Paul and Silas and Timothy and others wanted to come back, but probably because of the persecution that was taking place, there was a demonic hindrance that was taking place that would not allow them to go back and to stand face-to-face and minister the gospel and disciple them further from a personal experience. But he says, our hope and joy and our crown, it is even in you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? You, he is saying, for you are our glory and joy. What he is saying that what God has done in your life and how God's used us to bring the good news to you, and now you're growing and your faith is growing, that is something that we put joy in. That is something that we glorify in God's work within you, and this will be revealed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, another reference to his coming here at the end of this dialogue that he has. It's really not an end. Just a chapter division is put forth here, but it's a continual thought here about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are going to glorify God because of what God has done through their lives. And as they see them continue in the faith, that brings so much joy and glory to the work of God and the kingdom of God by what God is doing internally in the believers in Thessalonica. Now let's end with a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, you are a faithful God, and how you were faithful to the Jews that believed in Thessalonica, to the Gentiles, to the prominent women, all these individuals that came to faith within this city with all the persecution, all the hindrances 
that arose there within that city. God, you are a faithful God. And Lord, just as they stood strong, I pray that we will stand strong. We will love you. We will follow you. And the most important thing within our lives is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make that a reality today, I pray. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.